Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Crowcast Podcast. I'm Shane. Hey, I'm Ronnie. And these are the audio versions of the interviews we've had with our special guests on Crowcast. This episode is with Biff Byford. It was so cool to have, you know, front man of, you know, one of the one of the leaders of the new wave of British heavy metal. Um, episode 53, mate. It just, you know, it keeps growing, doesn't it? Uh, legend, but the, yeah, it, it's incredible the caliber of guests we're still getting in week 53. Um, a complete legend, as I've said, one of the pioneers of uh, heavy metal, great insight, great knowledge. He was really chilled, wasn't he? Yeah, he was very chilled. Um, you know, for anybody wanting to watch this, this is available on YouTube if you want to see the visual. Uh, it is episode 53. He was sipping on a glass of red wine. Um, he'd been working in the studio with his son on a new project, which is yeah. is very cool. Um, very humble considering, you know, Saxon are a band that have sold millions and millions of records. Yeah, no ego at all, but um, very confident, knew exactly what he does. And that's what I, that's what I heard talking to him. Um he could see the music industry changing, new sounds, new bands coming through, and he was just like, well, that's cool, uh, but we're Saxon and we do this. And um, that's what I took from it, uh, you know, unapod- unapologetically saying we are Saxon and this is what we do. And, um, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, man, should we get into it? Here we go. Strap in. This is Crowcast Podcast. <laughs> Shall we have a guest? Are we going straight in, are we? Oh, why not, innit? Why not? Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, the legend that is the front man of Saxon, Mr. Biff Byford. Oh, hey. hey. <laughs> How's it going, course. Biff? Good. How's it going? Yeah? Doing good, yeah, yeah. Been good, good man. Studio. So, um, yeah, I've been back in the studio when I finished this um, time in the crow's nest. This is the crow's nest, isn't it? Yes, it's the crow cast for the crow's nest, yeah. yeah. So literally, you just stopped recording to do this. Huh? Have you stopped recording to do this? Yeah, I'm. I'm actually listening to mixes and things. Where I'm, I've made an album with my son, uh, so we just listen to mixes at the moment. Uh, yeah, you know what that's like. Yeah, yeah. Doing little little changes here and there, you know. Oh, fantastic! So that's going to be the next album that comes out from uh, from me, basically, me and my son. So that'll be out uh, in the summer sometime. I'm I love that, Biff. Yeah, because yeah. you've been jamming. I've seen a few um, Facebook videos where you've both been jamming together. Is there going to be any material from that, or...? Uh, no, 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 we've written some new stuff, really. Uh, I mean, Seb, you know, Seb's uh, had some songs around for a while that he wanted to do, so we, did, you know, we wrote some lyrics together. So, yeah, it sounds pretty cool. It sounds pretty cool. It's not really like Saxon, uh, but, you know, you don't really want another Saxon album. You know, there's enough of them, so we'll um, do something a bit different, you know. So are you both singing on it, or is it me? You yeah, yeah, I'm both singing. He's a, he's a singer-songwriter, so he's, he's, playing, he's playing guitar and playing bass. A friend of ours is playing drums, and, uh, yeah, so it's been really good fun. Amazing. I was thinking, like, um, when I was obviously doing a bit of research on you, Biff. You you play a lot of instruments, right? I do, yeah. I play a lot of instruments fairly averagely. 
But I was, I was, <laughs> but I was surprised to hear that you play the flute. I did. I've still got a flute somewhere upstairs. Uh, you know, I, I do. Um, I do sort of get it out now and again and look at it. Is is that going to be on I the think, album? I think I've, I think I've lost the subtlety in my lips though over the years. So I probably, I could probably, I probably squeak you a solo. You know what I mean? Not, not play a solo. Be like some. Some like squeaky noise, like somebody moving a chair on on a, on a wooden floor. That's awesome. No, that's brilliant. You're recording with your son. I mean, we've done. I don't know if you remember this, but we did a we did a gig with your son um, in Camden. Um, God, many years ago when the crows first started. But you were there. You were actually in the audience watching in the yeah, Camden Barfly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It was uh, well, the festival, wasn't it? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember. I remember you guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was I was the roadie that night. I was driving the van. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say you you were quite pissed at the end of the night, so you could have been. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's rock and roll, mate. What do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we loved it. In all fairness, to see you there and um, yeah, just the support you were giving your lad was it was incredible. Like you know, that's that's what you want. You could see that you um you had them all drilled. You know, this is what you need to do. There's your sound check. Um, it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. It was great for us to watch on the side as well, because, I mean, that advice is fantastic for any band. So, you know, th those members should have been grateful for that, because it's almost insights. Even even if it was down at that level in Camden, you still got to be on there, do your sound check, make sure... Yeah, you got, you got to pay your dues, you know. You can't just, um, you know, you've got to have great songs, and you've got to pay the dues, and you've got to... Um... You gotta try and you know try and uh, develop what you're good at. You know that's the secret, I think. Yeah. Did you shut? Did your son always show you his stuff? Did Sorry. You, did your son always show you his stuff that he records? Uh, get your input he does into sometimes, it? yeah. Ev eventually, he doesn't show up you straight away. You know, he does his own thing, and uh, you know, he'll play me a track sometimes. Uh, yeah. But he, he, you know, he writes a lot of different styles of stuff. He's not really. Uh, he's not really uh, uh, into into metal so much writing. He likes listening to it, but he writes uh, more sort of uh, more, more say more of a, of a sort of feel rock, you know, more more blues rock really. So um, yeah, you, you'll have to get a copy and get him on your show when it comes out. Love that Definitely. dude. Yeah, absolutely. We we love new music. Absolutely. Yeah. So Biff, thank you so much for your time and joining us, bud. It's a it's a real honour to speak with you. Um, on Crowcast, we like to get sort of deep and personal, if that's okay with you. We just want to know, like, when did it start for you, Biff, going back um, when you were young? What was the music you were listening to that kind of inspired you to pick up the guitar or sing? Uh, well, the, the things that are on the album, actually, they're on inspirations. You know, those sort of things. Uh, you know, I saw the Beatles on TV in 1963, yeah. their first broadcast. That was pretty cool, you know, seeing four guys playing electric electric instruments and uh, you know thing and then the stones came shortly after a bit more long air rock and roll you know so it was a great time and um, I think I think more than uh, influencing me in music I think it uh, inspired me to become a musician and uh, you know I, obviously I could already sing I could already sing at that time I mean you, you can't really learn to sing if you've got a voice or you haven't um, but you know, so I played guitar for a while, uh, and then I couldn't really, um, I couldn't really get it together with wasting my life learning to play.
with solos. You know, so, so I was like just a rhythm guitar, basically. Yeah. You know, it's like it takes a takes a lifetime to look, to play lead guitar properly. You know, it's like the guys dedicated to that. My de dedication went in a different way. So I took up the bass guitar. You know. Right. So um, so that was all cool. You know, I was a pretty good bass player. So. So how old are you? How old are we talking now? How old were you then? Sorry. How old were you then? You uh, well, when when I saw the Beatles, I would be about twelve or thirteen, something like that. You know. So uh, after that, I started to play. Uh, I mean, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, uh, a neighbour of mine, uh, actually played banjo, which is the same tuning as a bass guitar. So he showed me a few things when I got a bass guitar. My 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 best friend's brother. Um, played guitar in a band, like a blues band, yeah. and uh, it's brilliant. He got like a, you know, Stratocaster and a sort of Fender amp and a, a Benson Baby, whatever they call them. So it was pretty cool. And uh, you know, I used to smash around on that Fender Strat, probably you know, 1960s, maybe a 50s Strat, probably worth about 40 grand now. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we used to we used to smash around on it in the front room, you know, playing weird noises on the trims. So I sort of got into, uh, you know, the guitar, the guitar sound of things then, really. I love that. So, so when you were watching the Beatles, is that like, are they the band that kind of made you want to be in a band? Um, or were you just imitating, no. you know what I mean, doing the whole imitating them and you didn't really think about no, it? No, I, I just thought it was a band that were writing, writing you know, an English band from Liverpool, from the north, and... Uh, you know, they were they were like a gang, weren't they? You know, back in the day, uh, you know, going out and playing gigs, played in Germany, some terrible little places. So, you know, um, so yeah, the sixties was a fantastic time to be a teenager, because musically it was like absolutely turning around, you know, changing all the time. You got Hendrix, you got the Kinks, you got mm -hmm. Cream you know, a little bit of cream in the late 60s uh, and things like that, you know. So, uh, and then it turned all into the Yardbirds and, you know, then came along Purple and bands like that. So it, it sort of, you know, I graduated with the music towards more rocky things, you know. So by the time I was sort of 16, I was, I was like rocking out with the bass, uh, you know, in rock bands, basically, trying to write our own stuff, failing miserably, but doing a couple of... <laughs> But doing cover versions, you know, of, of, of the of the rock stuff of the day. But yeah. you still weren't singing at that time. I was singing at that time. Right. I mean, so you I, I, I mean well, uh, in a few bands, I, I, I sang back backing vocals and just took a couple of songs. I used to be in a band called the Iron Mad Wilkinson Band, which is probably the most fantastic name ever for a band. <laughs> it's a bit like Blue Oyster Cult yeah. of, 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 of of Barnsley. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah. yeah, it was it was uh, you know it was a heavy band, and uh, we got tons of support. Uh, you know, along the way, we played with a lot of bands at the time. You know, like the Strobes and bands like that. We got a lot of support. Uh, we used to wear crisp velvet jackets then, and uh, you know, headbands. It was cool. Yeah. Man, I, I do. I, I love. I love hearing those stories. Remember? Can you imagine being around that time, Ron? Do you know what I mean? I, when music yes. was just literally life, do you know what I mean? It was a, it was a, it was your personality. Like now it's now it's a bit sort of compartmentalized, and you like that yeah, or you was, like that. Yeah. It's a bit fucking rough though. We got no money or anything. You know what I mean? It was like 
it was it was like it wasn't a great time for for uh, it was a great time in the sixties, but I think the seventies were getting a bit rough, you know, for for us getting gigs and things and trying to get what we wanted, you know, living in uh, yeah, you know, we, we were living basically on on nothing really, just trying to get gigs and trying to get making demo tips and sending them off. So it was pretty hard, you know, to get noticed. Yeah. Because, um, you know, especially during the, especially during the sort of late seventies when the punk thing was big, uh, you know, we couldn't get we couldn't get arrested, you know, because we got long hair and, uh, <laughs> and so it, it was really really hard, you know, to to uh, get noticed. But but notice you did, Biff. So how did that happen? What what was the the well, point? Well, like, like everything, really, it happened by accident. You know, we we sent a tape off. We sent cassette tapes off continually, all the time. Yeah. And a few guys came to see us, you know, A&R guys came to see us and then, you know, left and we never heard of them again. Uh, I mean, maybe the rope crew killed them, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> we never heard from them again. And uh, we sent the tape off to uh, to EMI and um, a guy came up to see us in some uh, club in Bradford, I can't remember what it was called, some sort of... You know, disco club, we were playing a gig there, and uh, he came to see us, and um, he just said, oh yeah, I like the band, and then he, he fucked off, and we never heard of him again, basically, same thing, so uh, same old, same old, so about, oh, it must have been, must have been about three or four months later, um, a guy from Trident Management, who were Queen's Management, uh, phoned us, and said, oh, there's a, there's a company that's interested in signing you, and we'd like to manage you, yeah? And we said, oh, fair enough, go for it. <laughs> you know, and and uh, what happened was that the, the guys from EMI, two guys from EMI that, that, that came to see us, left, and they became, um, one was the managing director and one was the A&R guy of a, of a small independent French company called Career Records. And they opened, uh, they had an office in Mayfair, and... Uh, you know that's how it started, really. They they wanted a rock band. They they could. It was sniffing around and thought there was something happening. And um, you know the offer is. I think the offer is thirty thousand quid. And uh, you know we snapped their hand off. Yeah, man. And tried tried management. They were great. You know they put us in a studio, and um, that was for the first album. The first album came out. It, it did okay. You know, in today's standards, it would probably be in number one. Yeah, <laughs> but, but back then, you know, it it um, it didn't exactly set the world on fire. I think it did about twenty thousand copies, which wasn't a lot then. And uh, Trident dropped us. The, the management dropped us, which is probably a good thing because I think they were a bit dodgy anyway. So according to Queen, anyway. So um, right. so yeah. So we we moved on and we uh, we got a new management. We actually were managed by a guy in Wales uh, for a while. I can't remember his name. It was quite a uh, it was quite a well-known promoter of the time, but it didn't work out. And uh, we actually got a couple of guys uh, managing us from London, and they, um, you know, they're the ones that sort of. Uh, we had one album left. We had one option left. So basically, the deal was if we didn't make a great album, then that was it. It was over, you know. So, and that was where Wheels of Steel came from. Wow! Talk about make or break, yeah. Wow! Yeah, definitely make a break. They put us in the Welsh mountains with some <laughs> with some bloody uh, people that lived in teepees, 
And uh, honestly, this is not, this is not, uh, this is not, uh, this, I'm not making this up. And basically they had a farmhouse and uh, they let the farmhouse out, they let the studio in there and we stayed in the farmhouse and obviously with the studio. And they all lived in teepees on the top of this frigging mountain. And uh, they were, they were like vegans. They didn't eat, you know, they just lived off the land basically with this seeds and nuts and things. And, uh, you know, we were like bringing in legs of lamb. So it must have been awful. It must have been awful for the kids, you know, to, must have been at the window that, <laughs> give me some meat. Anyway, it worked out good because, you know, we got snowed in for three weeks and, uh, we just continued writing songs and uh, and the management came down with the record company and we played them uh, a couple of tracks and they were they were absolutely gobsmacked you know we we, we didn't even know we'd written any good songs we were so uh, you know so sort of uh, cut off from everything yeah you know, we were just recording we had a little uh, I had a, v, a Revox two track a reel to reel uh, you know we had two microphones in the room. One near the one near the drums and one, uh, you know, near the guitar caps, and uh, that was it. Really, that's where I recorded the demos on. Uh, wow, it was good. good yeah. That's, that's yeah. so interesting to hear you say that. You know, you didn't know that you'd written this beast of an album, and that the record company was going to love it. Do you find now, Biff, that when you record albums throughout your career, are you ever? Do you ever think? This is the one. This is going. This is this is the best one we've done so far. Does it ever meet what you think? Do you know what I mean? What people think and what compared to what you think as a musician? I, I don't think you're ever 100% satisfied with any album that you write or make. Yeah. Because, you know, you you can make albums very quick, like we did Inspirations in like, you know, uh, three weeks basically. And Wheels of Steel was probably done around the same time, three weeks maybe. Uh, and then you can spend like, you know, three, four months on an album. And, uh, you're always tweaking, you're always thinking, oh, I could have done that better, I could have done this yeah. better. But I think from the songs, I think uh, I think our secret with songwriting uh, is that I, I always try to find, um, I'm always looking for great guitarists that sound fantastic live. So we're always trying to write music for live. Yes. Um, we spent a bit of time in the late eighties making making music for studios. You know what I'm saying? There's a sort of, yeah. Yeah. A sort yeah, of yeah. difference really. You know, and I, I think really I think really rock fans just want fucking great rock albums that you know, they're not really interested in the you know, the finery things that we are interested in yeah. as musicians and, and, and entertainers. I think fans just listen to it as an album or a song and they go, I like that. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. So, you know, I think we try to uh, we try to write different different songs on every album. We try not to repeat ourselves. Uh, that's that's very important. And um, yeah, we just try try and, and try and um, create an atmosphere on the song that we, that people can get into. You know. Yeah, but we're a little we're a little bit like Maiden, I suppose, because we write we write songs with like quite historic lyrics. So it's. Um, you know, it's a great place to be that because there's tons and tons of of, uh, of, of ideas there that you can use, you know. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that. And and we were also going to say we, we kind of do the same and we always tell other bands um, to always think of your live show 
um, and try and take that to the studio rather than getting caught up. Because a lot of bands do it, man. I mean, especially now with the digital age, it's so easy to drop in. You can build that cake and you can put too much dressing on everything and you can completely forget what it's going to be like live and how are the fans going to react to it. And like you said, people are paying to come and watch you. So they want to interact yeah. with that or they want to sing along to a riff or they want to sing along to a chorus or... Um, yeah. I mean, we've been through. We went through the. We went through the production processes in our career where we had big choirs and things, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, to beef up the choruses. It was good fun at the time, you know. Uh, but I think, I think, um, you know, we've gone back to a more, more, uh, you know, uh, Saxon style, our own style, you know, not try to uh, be too much like anybody, not follow trends. Yeah, I, I think that's the, that's one of the things. Is, I think if you're a young band, then you can start a trend. But if you're an older band, then don't follow them. That that's, I think that's the key. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. When did you 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 said like obviously that album become a beast, which it did, and it's it's in the history books. But like when did you, you know, you go from not earning and you're struggling, or like you said, um, you know, the label are, are thinking about the option. When did you actually think? Do you know what this is working? This is becoming a because you are you were one you know, one of the front runners of the as they say, the new wave of British heavy metal, or like now it's the new wave of classic rock. You were part of a massive scene that will always be remembered, always, it's immortalized, like, you know? Did you did you know something special was happening? I think, I think we noticed something was happening, um, you know, around about 78, uh, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of younger guys were getting into the music, a lot, a lot of school, school, uh, school kids, you know, and, and students and things were getting into this newer style of rock music. They weren't really bothered about the punk because it was a little bit fashion poppy punk. I mean, I did like the energy of it, you know, and we did, we did use that a bit, but uh, most of the bands were quite fashion-orientated mm. and, um, you know, or, or, or really angry for no reason, you know what I mean? So, uh, so we sort of were actually a new wave of rock music. Uh, more, more in the vein of purple and uh, you know bands like that, but with a different, a different style of playing music. You know, yeah. much faster, much more aggression. Uh, you know, it's very, very strong hooks in the songs. Not over instrumental. You know, we, I think one of the longest solos we did was probably, you know, Eagles landed. You know, which is like maybe a minute and a half. You know, it's it's. For a 70s band, that's short, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, for yeah, an yeah. 80s band, that was the thing. And I think Maiden and um, Saxon in particular, I think, um, you know, we were the bands of that of that generation, really. I mean, I think Mortuary were as well, but they've been around a bit longer than we had. I mean, the thing is, yeah, if, if you put it in, like, years, then all these bands are about the same age as we are. Mm -hmm. But yeah. musically, we're younger because we, we didn't start making records until quite late, you know what I mean? I was like in yeah. my 20-something. So, you know, I wasn't like Robert Plant, who was on an album at 17. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, yeah. it's it's just, you know, it, it's, some it's weird for some people because, you know, same age as Rob Alford, but he's probably got like five albums before us. Yes. You know, he was around like mid-70s where we so were still uh, struggling in working men's clubs. In, in South Wales and uh, in, in sort of, uh, you know, in, in the in Geordieland. 
So knowing that, did you find, did you feel that pressure as the front man of a, of a, a new wave of, of rock music, heavy metal music? What I mean is, when did it go from, like you said, those smaller venues to arenas to massive audiences? What was it like for you as a performer, that step up? Well, uh, it comes gradual, but I just think I just think the story becomes bigger. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you know, it's like um, you know, the, the first time we went to America, we 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 toured with Rush, and uh, you know, the first gig we played was like twenty thousand people. Wow. So, I mean, we played some big gigs in in the UK and Europe. You know, by that time, uh, right. but to, to walk on stage in front of that many people. And do it every night for like, you know, a couple of months. Um, you know, you learn you learn to to work the audience, especially when you're the first band on. Yeah. And maybe like four people have seen you before or never heard of you. You know what I mean? So, it's very you have to swing an audience your way. Yeah. And you can only do that by being ex- try to be exciting and try to sell your songs. You know. And uh, yeah, it's, it was a crazy way to. Um, learn how to do that yeah well, did you ever get I, I, I think the secret is confidence yes yeah yeah, yeah you yeah, have to yeah. be confident yeah of, of working an audience you know you have to be confident that your songs are good enough you know yeah. what I mean yeah for that for that venue and I, I mean some I see some bands in in arenas and the music's not really arena music so it doesn't really work for me but um, you know some music is and some music isn't yeah yeah we're aware of that because we always say about you've got to fill a room and you've got to you've got to connect with that person at the back and it's got to be a, a show that's that's what we love i mean especially about um the, the bands back then as well the I, I mean we were later on to it because like i said it's quite a controversial thing but we we came about in the grunge era which I know when I spoke to Blaze a couple of weeks ago, he was like, we were at war with grunge. <laughs> it was like, um, but for us, grunge was the influence to make us into a band. Do you know what I mean? That was the, that was the, the era for us to kind of get, get into a band or, or you know, start. Yeah, well, it, you know, it, it, got, it goes around, in, it, go, it usually goes around in 10-year cycles and, you know, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that sort of thing came along. I mean, that was the new music. You know, I, I wasn't really at war with them. Well, like, but I, you know, I didn't really give a shit. I just listened to the music and thought, that's cool. You know, great song. I mean, I mean the, Nirvana, the Nirvana stuff was like, you know, for me, the Nirvana stuff was like when I first saw the Sex Pistols. Yeah. It was like, whoa, this is different. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah. I listened to it and I liked it. You know, we we took a few things from Grunge. It influenced the guitarist riffs for a while, definitely. Yeah, because you know, the, the point, darker side of the of the rhythm playing definitely. Yeah, because at that point we'd um, we'd grown up on bands like um, the Beatles, the Kinks, um, and then going right through like you know you're obviously listening to the old LPs and stuff, and then it was cool because for us like once we'd gone through the grunge, it was almost like we back listened to all the. The, the metal scene, do you know what I mean? A lot of my mates started turning into metalheads or they were um, listening to this and they'd be listening to maybe more modern, like um, Sepatura, et cetera. But then we back listened to Iron Maiden and then we start listening to Saxon and then we start listening to Judas Priest. So it was all like part of our, our like, I don't know, it was our foundations, wasn't it, Shane? It was almost like without bands like yourself 
Um, and like of our of our stage, that ninety four ninety five, um, that's kind of what got us inspired and to be in a band, like you know. So yeah, it must have been incredible uh, to be in that that washing machine of it, like you know, and and in the mix with all those great bands, like. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, you know, the, the, there's great, you know, music music moves around. It's, it's you know, it's like water. It's always flowing around and, and going backwards and forwards. And, um, you know, you've got to let, uh, you know, young, young guys come along, or not even young guys, but new guys come along with a new a new style of music or a new sort of way of playing music. And, uh, and people go for it, you know. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, some of the bands that were big, you know, fall down, you know, because a new kid come on the block. But I think the yeah. secret is your music has to be strong. Do mm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if you've got great songs, I think that can take you through all these ups and downs. I mm. think I think if Nirvana was still together, they'd still be big today. Mm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it would have gone on. Or, you know, when Pearl Jam is still big today, they still, you know, do headline shows in arenas. Mm. Uh, a lot of those bands do. So their music's carried them through. You know, yeah. and that—that's the secret, I think. It's the fan. It's all connects to the fans. If 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 your if your fans buy the album, and they support you through the years, then there's nothing there's nothing to worry about. You know, it's not about it, people's perception of fame. You know, it, it's just it's just a perception how people have it. You know, it's like oh, you've sold so many million albums. You know, yeah. So what? Like it just uh, that's how it is. You know, it's yeah. um, it, it's just. You know, we're still the same guys we were when we only sold like four albums. Yeah. By the way, I never got paid for the albums, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that used to happen in the 80s as well, you know. You used to go, part of the part of the thing was to get ripped off. That's pain you do, you know. <laughs> we we oh, made no. a slight joke about, like, obviously, you know. The, man any... the manager used to, used, to, used, to, used to sort of visit us in his Porsche now and again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, the deal was you can have anything you want but no cash that's what they used to say you know and right. we had uh, they set up like um, companies in Jersey for us offshore companies and uh, yeah they'd walk away with like suitcases full of cash from the gigs and the merchandising and uh, it would have get put in the back of a car and without the last you saw it it's like went like you know. and that's how it was then Wow. Uh, I'd, lose, I'd lose my shit. <laughs> I was going to say, you can imagine how tight we are now, Shane. Jesus Christ. I'd be, I'd tell you, I'd be chasing our Porsche. I'd be keying his Porsche. I'd be cooking shit out of his Porsche. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, uh, you know, we got... It was all about music for us and still is. You know, yeah. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just it's just what it is, really. If you, if, you know, if you, if you're... If you write music, then you can't stop, really. That's the thing. Yeah. You can have you can have periods where you can't you know there's nothing coming through, you know no inspiration. But generally, if you write your own music, then you're on pretty solid ground, I think. Yeah, man, absolutely, bud. So this this album, um, Inspirations. Obviously, I love the fact that you're talking about all types of music and taking bits of that. And I'm just thinking of your son, dude. What a teacher to listen to and be inspired by. You know, you've been there, you've done it. And that knowledge, but at the same time, you're saying, hear this, hear that, and, and make I interpret that into your your way of performing then. But this album, you've got inspirations. Some of these songs, bud, they're, they're world-class, these songs. 
Um, so this was just like a, a, a just a, a fun love for music as opposed to a Saxon album. There it is, inspirations. Well, it was just a fun thing to do in lockdown, really. You know, we hadn't played together for you know, since September, I think. Uh, so nearly a year before. And, uh, you know, we just wanted to do something together as a band. We were a bit fed up of not doing anything. Uh, because we'd already written, we'd already written the next Saxon album. I just need to do the vocals, uh, which I'm starting maybe in a couple of weeks. So, um, you know, that album's not coming out until February now, so it's, it's delayed. Right. Uh, but yeah, you know, we, we had the idea in October, recorded it in three weeks in November, and I think the first single came out in December. So it's a very quick thing, and uh, you know, I, I didn't want to just do a covers album. I wanted to do something that was specifically to to the boys in the band you know so we each had a you know ideas about what songs to do i mean i, I produced the album so i sort of had a last a last call on what we did but i didn't want to choose the obvious songs yeah you know like people said oh you should do uh highway star you know deep purple i was like now I, I wanted to speak in it means more to me speaking you know yeah. i was more influenced by speaking motorcycle man speak you know those songs that you know those lyrics that i wrote back then style singing so i, I did speak game which is not the obvious choice yeah for deep for a deep purple song and i love the riff that's an awesome riff that black yeah. Mark plays there yeah, yeah. I, I, I think mean, it's a better better riff than highway star because highway star is just e-string you know wrong whereas uh speaking moving around a lot I mean, the list of songs on you, Painted Black, Stones, Immigrant Songs, Zeppelin, Paperback Writer, Beatles, Evil Woman, Stone Free, Bomber, Speed King, The Rocker, Hold the Line, Problem Child, See My Friends. I mean, what a list of songs. Yeah, um, it's, it's a great list. Uh, you know, we didn't really realise what we'd done until we recorded it, listened to it back. And, uh, you know, I did the order in, in sort of a... So it was interesting for people to listen to, you know. Yeah. Sticking in the car, it's like, oh, that's great. You know, the next song. Now, each song's totally different to the song before. Yeah. You know, and each song, each song has a story uh, to it. You know, there's a like uh, ACDC. You know, I, I don't remember when their first album came out. Seventy, seventy-five was it? Something like that. And uh, I went to see them in Sheffield. I said to the band, you know, we have to go see this band. They're great. I got their first album. And they were playing this little club in. Uh, Sheffield University Bar and the University Bar, and um, there's maybe 60 people in there. And uh, the first song they played was Problem Child, so I thought that's pretty cool, you know. And uh, I don't think if it had been for ACDC, I don't think we would have written a song like Wheels of Steel musically because it's very much that sort of, you know, mid tempo, hard grooving song with a really sort of ACDC type chorus, you know. Yeah. You're still, it's like, you know, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the influence is a lot in songwriting, ACDC. Yeah, you can see the similarities there, man. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Was it great to get with the guys? And obviously, like you said, you hadn't seen them for so long. How was, how was all of that, especially with COVID? Because, you know, you can see you've kept yourself busy uh, and you've kept yourself busy within music, which is, is amazing. Um, where we've spoken to a lot of people and they, 
I don't know, they find it more difficult, especially like with the live scene closed down, but you've seemed to get your head straight into the writing, especially with the boy. Um, and then to get this record together with the guys is uh, is fantastic. Was it was it weird getting back together after that break or? Uh, not no, not really because because we um, no, not really because we talk on the phone all the time anyway because we're mates, aren't we? You know, it's not, yeah. We don't we don't all have different managers and hate each other. So, um, well, we might That's hate each other. But we, don't have, we don't have different managers, but That's uh, good to but know. Yeah, That's good to uh, know. Yeah, it was great to get back together, and, and then and the circumstances that we did, you know, this fun project uh, that we came up with, and uh, you know, a friend of mine, his family owned this huge estate here in Yorkshire with a big, with a big mansion house, you know, with a big, a big sort of stately home thing, and um, you know, I was asking him, um, I was asking if he knew anywhere that was like old and big that we could record, and he said, yeah, this. This place is free for two weeks while they do some renovation work. Uh, so, yeah, I said, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. So we did it like the old, you know, back in the day, we used to read the, the magazines and see, uh, you know, like Deep Purple and this Chateau making an album or, you know, Led Zeppelin in a manor house down in, in sort of, you know, the Cotswold making an album in the, in the dining room or something. So... <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> so I thought, I, I want to do that because I've never done it. You know, we've always worked in studios. So I, I've never done it. I've never turned a big house into a studio. So we just set it up. We had Nigel on the drums in a huge hallway. And, you know, through some big double doors was the library. So we were in there. And all the cables ran through the wall, you know, through the doors into the um, into where we recorded. So it was very similar, you know, to the old days. So and uh, captured everything live. Then just did a couple of solos overdubs and that was it really you know i did the vocals later with my son and recorded them with me so yeah it was very quick you know instant so i was going to say did you discuss on the phone like um i don't know pre-arrangements and stuff or was it the case when you got there and you just had a jam out and worked you know worked it that way no what, what we what we what we did was we, we rehearsed for a week ah cool 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 my, my place so we tried loads of different songs and uh criteria was we're not going to do any songs unless we can do them like Saxon yeah yeah because I'm not going to change my voice sound to sound like anybody in particular so um, so that was it you know and, the, and, and the, you know the guys obviously the guys knew the songs you know because they're great great they're great musicians so you know there's a couple of, of, of things that were a bit difficult because we changed a few things you know we didn't do we didn't do the long jams that are on Speed King we should have condensed it and just made, uh, we made one of uh, Blackmore's really uh, famous, uh, you know, guitar phrases. We made it into a twin guitar part. Yeah. So, you know, we were doing things like that just for fun, really. Um, but yeah, you know, the whole thing came together and we rehearsed. So when we went in to record, everybody knew what they were doing, you know. So it was just a matter of we did, you know, three takes and then picked the, pick the best take. Just yeah. like we did back in the eighties, actually, yeah. exactly the same. You know. So, do you, this the fact that you produced this album as well? Yeah, is that that came later on in your career? Just because you know you've been in the studio, the experience came, and you found that you. Well, I've produced quite a few Saxon albums. It, it just it doesn't usually say on the on the cover, but I've produced quite a few Saxon albums. Um, you know, with different people, and sometimes on my own. So. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty at home with the studio. You have to remember, we've drawn, you know, the band have come right through the digital age. Yeah. So, you know, we're not, um, you know, we're really, we're really au um, fait with analog and digital. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So we're yeah. not, uh, we're not stuck in a time warp. We can, you know, we use Pro Tools and we use analog. You know, we use logic and we use all sorts of things. Uh, you know, everything gets thrown into the pot. And yeah. whatever we whatever we feel sounds the best we use, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask if my guitarist was here now, Shane. I'd be asking you, what do you prefer, the sound of analog or digital? <laughs> well, I think it's difficult because because these days, you know, you've got profilers that that you really yeah. can't tell the difference. You know, yeah. I think maybe a dog could tell the difference, but I don't <laughs> think. A human being can tell the difference, but it, it sometimes it, it's. I think sometimes you can record on analog, and then put it onto digital. Sometimes yeah. people do it the other way around. I mean, you know, it's a big, it's an experimental thing in yeah. studios, and um, you know, I, I, I think. I don't know. I'm still. I'm. I'm still out. The the jury is still out for me. Yeah. Because we've made albums completely analog. You know, uh, an album called Lionheart was totally analog. And then, you know, uh, an album called Metalhead, you know, was probably uh, one of our first digital albums, uh, which was on, uh, we, I think we did it on ADAT, which was like little cassette things, you know. Yeah. So we tried all sorts of different methods of, uh, of recording. But I think, that, I think the best method of recording is, is both. You know, I think real real martial amps or high, or high whatever amps you want, you know, whether yeah. it be you know whatever your thing. Uh, real amps, real speakers, real microphones always sounds better to me than a profiler. Yeah. But you know, we're not against using profilers either if if it works. You know. Yeah. I mean, we we have Kempers, we have we have Marshall Stacks, we have everything. So, you know, sometimes it's down to the producer. You know, Andy Snips, our producer, and has been for quite some time now. And, uh, you know, sometimes he prefers to do it a different way, you know, than we want to do it. You know, so um, it's it, it's just an experiment. Every time we go and make an album, we always do it different. There's mm. no, I don't think there's any set rules with music. Yeah, we, you know? we really... Um... We, we met Andy um, on, our, on our previous album. Uh, we were working with Colin Richardson and Chris Clancy, um, mm -hmm. and we recorded at Andy's, Andy's house, like, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. And yet again, it was like being in a toy store because he's got everything. He's got, he's got fucking everything. He had drum kits coming out. Um, he had every amp, every, every guitar head, pedals galore, and, and I loved being with Andy and watching um, when I was there, and, and same with Shane will say, uh, he would, just everything was coming out to play when a Shane, or he could use yeah. certain things. Same with Colin Richardson. Um, so we got a we got a little taste to see what Andy can do, like, you know, and I imagine he's the same with you guys. He was, it was incredible watching him work, like, you know? Well, the thing is with Andy, he's a guitarist, isn't he? So, yeah. you know, uh, for, for the guitarist, it's fantastic working with Andy because, you know, he sits and works with them, uh, and, you know, works out things and works out the best sounds. And uh, you know, it's it's great to be a guitarist and we work with Andy definitely. And uh, you know, me and him do a lot of vocals together. Uh, I, on this next album, I'm going to do a vocals with my son, 
Pirrell simply because he's busy at the moment doing Dream Theater, so yeah, uh, you know, it won't work out. But he, he, he is doing the album. It's just um, you know I'm recording it somewhere. It's the same equipment. I still use my uh, 1940s uh, AKT C12 and a Telefunken preamp. I've used that for the last I don't know. Must be 15 albums. Wow. Yeah. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Absolutely. Well, I, I love the I love the Neumanns and the AKG old microphones. There's oh, something do. about them. Uh, you know, they're, they're 24 karat gold for a start, which you don't really get anymore. You know, the diaphragm. So it's all about the and it handles my voice. You know, because I have a I have a really slicey, brutal voice sometimes, and uh, it handles that. I can really I can really scream at the microphone. I can yeah. be like half an inch away from it and really yeah. scream at it, and it it, uh, it likes it. Yeah. But if you do that, if you do that, we're getting a bit technical here, boys. But if you do that with a Neumann, it goes off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> says, oh no, no, I'm not having that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take this fucker away from me. He's not doing that. Yeah. A Neumann, you know, I can't take that. Yeah. I use a Neumann actually. Thinking about thinking about it. I bandy yeah, sleeps on the album. Neumann. I mean, they're they're brilliant. They're incredible. Yeah, I yeah. loved it. Yeah. I loved getting technical, man. This is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I'm, sure everybody, I'm sure everybody's falling asleep on this chair. Just rock and roll fucking stories, man. Technical shit. I mean, when when we met Andy, he was actually stepping in. He was he was the guitarist for for Judas Priest, um, yeah, which was yeah. brilliant for us because in the days you'd see him. Um, kind of moving around the studio. Like I said, we worked with Colin and, and Chris. And then in the evenings, it'd be great because he's just fucking rehearsing flat out the Judas Priest, yeah. um, like in a, in his midway kind of studio. Um, yeah. Incredible. And then showing us um, clips from some of the tour, which obviously yourself, uh, you were on that bill uh, yeah. when they did. Yeah. I mean, what was that like? Was that great? Oh, it was great. It was great, yeah. I mean, we love Priest and... Uh... You know, they're big friends of ours. We've known them for a long time. The first tour in Europe we did in 1980 was with Judas Priest. It was the uh, British Steel tour, and we were on Wheels of Steel. So we did a we did a full European tour with them. So yeah, we knew them from way back. We did a lot of we did some Top of the Pops together, and we did a lot of German TV together. So yeah, we knew Priest um, quite well actually, and uh, it's always great. I mean, they're absolutely. Brilliant, brilliant band, Judas Priest. Iconic mm. brand. Yeah, you know, yes. Influenced many people. So, yeah, I mean, they're great. We, we love Priest. Do you have a particular tour that stands out where you're like, you were excited to go on it and it just lived up to everything that you, you wanted, like? I'm always excited to go on tour, no matter where we're going, really. Uh, you know, we, we've done some great tours recently. The Judas Priest tour was great. We did... Uh, we did a really nice tour with UFO of America, yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, um, we toured with them in the eighties as well. You know, uh, back in the day, we did some uh, quite a few shows in America with uh, with UFO. I can't remember what album it was, but it was the it was the Welsh guitarist from Lone Star. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember what his name was now, but he was the guitarist in UFO when we toured with them. But you know, it was Pete Way and Phil and. And the drummer and and um, I can't remember what they called it. Anyway, 
exciting. So has there, has there been ever sort of a moment, like a holy shit moment, where you're walking out on stage and this is the biggest crowd you've ever played to, that made you, I don't know, just think, wow, we've properly made it. This is this is big time now. I, 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 don't, I don't think you actually ever think you've made it, really. I, I, I think... I think uh, I think maybe back in the 80s, you know, you think that. But I think in retrospect, I, I don't think you ever think you've made it, you know. I don't think, you know, I don't think Steve Harris probably thinks he's made it. I think he always thinks they can do it an even bigger gig in Brazil. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or an yeah. even bigger gig somewhere or, you know, do do like more shows, you yeah. know, back to back. So I, I don't think you ever think you've really reached a level where you can say, well, I've made it, you know, because you're always, I mean, if you reach a level and say, yeah, I've made it, I'm going to retire now. Then I think that's different. Yeah. But I think if you've got no intention in retiring, I think, you know, you, whether you've made it, I don't know. It's like I said, you know, it's people's perception of whether you've made it, isn't it? Oh, you know 100%. I mean? But the way, I, the way I see it is your fan base, your the fact that you've been in the game as long as you have consistently with these albums, that to me says you've made it. You are in a career where you, you are a musician now. Um, so, yeah, I know you think about the grandeur of everything, but I, I'm talking about to be as successful as you have, for as long as you have, you must, you must know this is what I yeah, am. Yeah, I think, I think probably when, when you're saying, you know, do I think... What I'm saying is I don't feel smug and think, no. well, I've made it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, I think we're always striving to do better things and to do you know, bigger gigs and you know, go on tour more, you know. Yeah. So because it's, it's a thing, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. So it's, you know, it's in my DNA to, to carry on doing what we do. And yeah. uh, I don't see any way of reason to stop really unless, you know, I mean, I had a heart attack, uh, you know, last year, which uh, which stopped me quite uh, suddenly, you know. But, um, you know, we got that fixed, a bit like a car really, you know, get in, get it fixed get back out again, you know, got, got some miles left. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's a great thing, music, being a musician. I, I really feel, you know, the luckiest guy alive to be doing what I'm doing so long after I first decided to do it. You know, I've lost a lot of relationships. I've lost a lot of uh, friends, you know, yeah. because of it. Because, you know, if, if, you, if you've been focused and dedicated you know what it's like, you know, you you have to be totally focused and, you know, you lose a lot of girlfriends, you lose a wife sometimes, you know, or children. And uh, it, it's absolutely, uh, it's crazy how, um, when the music gets into your blood, how far you go to get what you want, you know, to achieve what you want to achieve. And that, yeah. that's, that's one of the, and I think, you know, I talk to a lot of musicians and friends about this, and they all have the same attitude that it's, they don't do it on purpose. It's just they can't stop. Mm. Yeah, it's like yeah. It's, it's like being it's like being you know, it's psychotic really in a way. I've, I've explained it before. I've said it's an addiction. There, there's two. There's almost two bottles that you can take. There's the the bottle of when you jam a new song with the band, 
and you're like, oh, this is a cracker. And um, I mean, I can only explain it from a drummer's point of view where I can feel it all coming together and you hear the vocal line and the, and the band starts to build it really early doors and you're like, fuck, this is a cracking tune. That, if you could bottle that, that's an amazing feeling. And then the second one is obviously when you walk out and everybody sings your, your, your songs back. Um, yeah. And you look around at your bandmates and everyone's actually smiling, not like, oh, fuck it. It's, it's amazing. It's like two, two different drugs that, that are needed. It's almost like, you're right, you, you know, I wouldn't imagine now being without them. Like, you know, it's, um, I've done it and it almost feels like cold turkey where you feel that like something's missing or um, you just kind of, you steer back to it. It is, it's an addiction. That's a great way to put it, Beth. Yeah, well, the thing is, as well, you know, that... Uh, the last year, you know, we've not done anything. So I think probably we've, you know, we've, we've turned back in to a bit like that band in 1976, 77, we were making demos. We're just like making records now. You know, we're writing and doing this thing with my son. I've done his presence. You know, I had my solo album out, uh, you know, last year. So uh, there's a lot of things being done uh, in the year that we could have been touring, you know. And we miss touring because we're we're fundamentally we're a live band, and like I said before when we first started, we write music to play live. Yeah, that's what we do. So if we're not able to do that, then it's it's like half of your half of your body's missing, half of your half of your you, you know your makeup is gone. Really, you're just in a studio, and uh, obviously I do other things as well. You know, like you know we walk the dog, and you know I, I've spent time with my family, but always thinking you know what about that lyric what about that riff you know like <laughs> it's always there simmering under the under the surface there you know yeah man i, I love that but dude you could still see the passion and uh determination in your brother and um Long may it continue. Thank you, Biff, so so much for joining us tonight, buddy. Um, really appreciate your time. Inspirations is out now, guys. You can go and get uh, some killer, killer songs done by the mighty Saxon in their way. Um, there it is. Click on that link. We'll put it in the comments. Go and get that, guys. Biff, we can't wait to hear that, that album as well in February. Looking yeah, we're, to yeah, we're looking forward to being back on the road. We're looking forward to releasing our next stuff and... Uh, Fingers crossed, everything will be fantastic next year. Yes, hopefully. Thank Fifth, you, thank so, you much, so much. Dave. Thank you so much. Peace and quiet. Thank you, Biff. Cheers, Biff. Thanks for listening to Crowcast Podcast. Don't forget, this episode is also available to watch on our YouTube channel. For up-to-date information on everything Crows, follow us on all our socials or visit our website, thosedamncrows.com. Tidy. Ta-da!